All right. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat here? We'll get started. started here. If you don't, we're going to make that sound one more time if we can. So, all right. Okay. Well, good good morning to you. Uh, morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I'm glad, glad you made the choice to join us this Easter morning just to worship God together here and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know a number of you are here from different places and for different reasons. Some of you are visiting from out of state, out of town. I've met a few of you there. I've got a brother visiting from Roswell, New Mexico. That's where the mothership landed there. So it's good to, good to have you on board. Um, some of you from other states there as well. But uh, anyways, some of you are here and you're... Maybe, you know, we're here for different reasons. Some are here maybe to nurse wounds a little bit, find comfort because your uh, March Madness bracket has been blown to smithereens. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I don't know. New Mexico State never comes through for me, I tell you. But uh, there's still a few of you. I know Jeff. His, his, his bracket is still alive, of course. So, Anyways, uh, what else do we have? Some of you might be here for other reasons, like me as well. You're here because your spouse made you come to church on Easter morning, right? Some amens for that, too. Um, but no, I think, uh, you know, I'm just excited to be here. My, my spouse didn't make me come this morning. So, um, but anyways, at least that's what I'm saying. Um, but no, I'm excited to be here just to celebrate what we're, we're here to remember, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how really in some ways the events that played out that first Easter weekend, that Good Friday, that uh, first Resurrection Sunday, um, these, those are the origins of the gospel here. We're going to talk about that a little um, and, you know, I think sometimes the Easter greeting, we can get a little bit. How many of you like saying Happy Easter? Happy Easter. Uh, yeah, it's not that fun. It's kind of fun. Uh, I've heard a few people say Merry Easter. That's kind of interesting. Most of you know the traditional uh, greeting for Easter, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Exactly. Well, that's good. Um, you know, sometimes I've wondered where exactly did the tradition come from? You know, here at the firehouse, we are not exactly known for uh, our traditions of man that have been passed down from generation to generation. We're really kind of a, a type of church that just tries to take the Bible and read it, and as we understand it, we try to put things in action. And a lot of times, that leaves traditions that have been passed down. It leaves them out. And some people like that, some people don't, but that's the way it is around here. I was reading on some of the traditions of this Easter greeting that... Um, there's some cultures, I think some Russian and Serbian cultures. I'm not sure if any of you would be from one of those. But um, they say this, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And then they follow it up with a, a triple kiss. You know, where you do the, the triple kiss here. So, um, you guys want to practice that this morning? If you're sitting by a spouse or a roommate, you can try that out here. Um, other place, they give uh, a similar greeting and they pass out a red egg representing, you know, egg representing new life, red representing the blood of Christ that has cleansed us here, things like that. But, you know, I try to figure out where exactly does this come from and is it in the Bible? Because if it's not in the Bible, I don't want to be saying, He is risen. 
And I don't want you saying that either if it's not in the Bible, right? So, um, But we're saying that. So I think it has its roots here. I was looking around to find some of the verses. And I know uh, in some of the gospel accounts, we have the accounts where that phrase, He is risen or He has risen, is, is stated. I think of Matthew 28 here. Uh, when the women went to the tomb and they, they met an angel there who said... Um, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. All right, you guys are getting the hang of it. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see them. Now I have told you. So that's a place that several times it says he has risen. But I've been wondering, well, where's the he has risen indeed part, right? Any of you know where that is? It's a Bible trivia, $5 gift card to the first one who answers this correctly. Well, you might not know unless you read the King James Version, because uh, in King James, uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 34, talks about these two disciples that were walking outside of Jerusalem, and Jesus uh, showed up and was walking along with them, and then eventually they realized, hey, this is Jesus, we just broke bread with Jesus, and they took off running for Jerusalem, and it says this... Um, and they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and He hath appeared to Simon. And so that's where the phrase comes from. He is risen is throughout the, this, the accounts of the first Easter morning, the first resurrection Sunday. And He is risen indeed are those that met with Jesus personally. And they went back to tell the disciples, He is risen indeed. And so we have, we have biblical reason to do this. So, anytime you hear that phrase throughout the service here, make sure you, you follow it up there because uh, we're, we're on biblical ground. So, um, But we're going to go ahead and pray and we're going to jump into some things here. Again, there's, um, I think it's just awesome to be reminded of the truth here in this season of Easter, Good Friday, and then on Saturday, and especially here on, on Sunday. And this, you know, we're saying that's the origin of the gospel. I, I really think the things that played out that very first time, 33 AD, that um, they, um, only after they played out did the gospel begin to spring forth in ways that it never had before, in ways that turned the world upside down or right side up. And we're going to take a look just at a few key truths related to the origin of the gospel. And our hope is that, uh, you know, we remember them once a year at Easter, but I think we'll probably need to remember them every Sunday. It would be good to be reminded of these truths. And as a matter of fact, I would go so far to say is we need to be reminded of these truths every day um, if we want to live in the way Christ wants us to live and uh, with all that He's made available for us to have in our lives here. So let's pray, and we're going to just look at a few of these truths, and we're going to get on with celebrating this, uh, this Easter Sunday. So if you will, let's just bow our heads real quick. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can sing to you. We thank you that um, we can say to one another, encourage one another with the words of your first disciples. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that there is no one else like you who those words are said about. There's no question even about that. that you are the only one. And, and we worship you here this morning. God, I pray that as we look at these, these five truths here that help us understand the gospel, that you would comfort our hearts. Lord, you know what, what's going on in our lives. I pray that you would encourage our faith, that you would strengthen us, that we can persevere in this broken world that we live in. And, um, but I just pray you meet us here. You bless this time. I pray you'd be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Alright, so in order to, I think, fully understand kind of the monumental events of Good Friday and of Easter Sunday here, um, we're going to back up and look at the bigger picture just a little bit here. We've got two, um, first two points are going to kind of help us get the context for the good news here. Um, we call them five eternal truths. These could be five comforting truths, five uh, gospel truths, five all sorts of things here, five uh, exclusive truths. Um, but we're looking at five eternal truths. That's what I went with. So, um, but the first one is this: that God created this world perfectly, and He created us to have a loving and eternal relationship with Him. And we've got to catch this before the gospel is going to make sense to its fullest uh, capacity. We've got to catch kind of the, the the picture in which the gospel occurs, the plot in which this good news occurs, and. Um, you know, we go back to the beginning here. Genesis chapter 1, it just says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on through chapter 1. It talks about the different uh, facets of creation. It, it goes on to God as creating human beings, mankind. And at the end of His creation, He says this. He looked at all He had made and He said, It was very good. You know, He could have looked at all He made and say, Oh, I made one of them. You know, um, but he looked at everything that he had created and he said it was, he said it was good after most everything. And at the very end he said, at his creation, he said, it was very good, very good. And there was, you know, no sin and there was no brokenness, nothing like that had occurred. The other thing that we've got to catch, uh, another verse related to this is when Jesus was asked, hey, uh, out of all the commands that God has given us, of all the things that God wants, what is the most important thing that he wants from us? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And he went on to say the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so we look at the beginning and, and what we were created for and how it started out very good. And we look at Jesus and say, he said, here's what you were created for, a loving relationship with God. And in that, you know, we get a few things to catch here. Well, we have different components that God gave us, different faculties. Did you know he gave you a heart that you could love him emotionally? And he gave you a mind that you could love him intellectually, not thoughtlessly, mindlessly, but intellectually. And he gave you a soul which... Uh, relates to our volitional nature. We can love Him by choice. And we have an eternal nature and we can love Him forever. And each one of those has a capacity. He says, hey, to each one of them, He says, you, you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you love Him with all your mind. And you love Him with all your mind and all your soul. And God has created us for loving relationship with Him. And each one of us in unique capacities and with the same though faculties to do that. And so we've got to catch that. We were created for a loving relationship with God. And when we were created for that, it was very good. And that's the first part of the framework we've got to catch. But now if you look around us and you, read, you listen to the news, you watch the 10 o'clock news... Does the news reflect a world that is very good? Anyone watch the news besides me? I don't know. The news does not reflect a world that's very good, especially if you've been watching the sports section lately. And that is just a lot of brokenness going on out there. Um, all these top seeds getting upset. But no, there's a lot of things. You watch the news and you go, I thought it was supposed to be very good. It doesn't look very good to me. And I thought it was supposed to be a loving relationship with God and with one another. And when you look around, do we see perfect, loving relationship with God and one another? No. 
And we've got to catch the second eternal truth here is that sin has broken our world. It's broken our relationship with God. And it's a part of the framework. We've got to to catch this. If we miss this, the good news in a lot of ways does not make sense. And there's a couple verses related to this. There's one place in Hosea. It's an interesting verse here that um, talks about our sin. And, you know, he's he's speaking to his people at the time. And he says, um, let's see here. He says about them, he says, There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Then it goes on to say this verse, Therefore the land mourns. And everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. You know, because of sin, this world is broken. The way it was supposed to be has been broken because of sin. And it's broken our relationship with God. This verse here, Isaiah, puts it like this. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore. Our sins have broken our relationship with God, but it's also broken our world. So much so that the planet is suffering, that the animals on this planet are suffering. Sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit, as Christians, we can kind of get nitpicky about those that want to save the planet. But God made the planet good, and our sin is breaking it. And it's true, whether we want to face that or not. But more than that, it's broken our relationship with Him. And uh, the New Testament goes on to say a little more specifically that not only has sin in general broken this world, it's broken our relationship, but sin, our sin, has earned God's punishment. God created this. Our eternal Creator created this world. He has His laws in place. And we have personally sinned against Him and personally earned His eternal punishment. Uh, the wages of sin is death, is what it says here in, um, in the New Testament. And so... Um, We've got to catch that, you know. And and in some ways, though, I want you to see that this can be a somewhat comforting truth. This world is broken. You know, maybe you've experienced pain and suffering in your world, loss of loved ones or or things that maybe should have never happened to you or by you. Um, And and yet there's a comfort there in this. And you can know this, that whatever you've suffered, whatever is going on out there that has caused you pain or unjustness or unfairness or something, um, that is not how it was intended to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. We've got to catch that because this place is broken and yet we've got to catch personal ownership that we have an accountability. You know, God put His laws in place and He didn't pick them arbitrarily. I hate some of the philosophy classes that say, you know, they, they like their little, their little catch, tricky questions. They, they go, okay, here's the deal. Either God randomly picked these things that He didn't like and He just said, oh, I just don't like lying, so now it's wrong. Um, or these things are wrong and they superseded God and they were in place before God. And they give you two options and it's like this trick question. But there's a third option that they don't mention. That God and things that are right and wrong, they are not arbitrary. They are an overflow of who God is. And as long as He has existed, so have these laws. Because they're an overflow of who He is. He does not lie. He does not like lying. He does not curse or misuse His name. He does not commit adultery or steal or murder. God does not do any of that. So when we do that, it's not like we're just breaking an eternal law. We are violating an eternal relationship with God And therefore, it carries an eternal punishment. And we've got to catch these again before some of this makes sense. Now, God, in His His justice, He could have left us there. We've all sinned against God. We've all earned an eternal punishment. He could have said, if He came back and said, 
you're guilty of sinning, right? Right or wrong? We all go, well, yeah, if you use the Ten Commandments or if you ask my roommates, yeah, I'm guilty of sin. Uh, I've broken your laws. And, and he could have left us there and he would have still been a just judge. And judging us for our sin would have been a righteous thing to do because right and wrong is really, uh, it's, it's righteous in God's eyes. He's the one that says it's right and wrong. So he could have left us stranded in that. But, but what did he create us for? We go back to truth number one. And why did he make us? Because he thought, hey, I really want to exercise my justice on some people. I need some objects of justice. Let's make them. You sin. Excellent. This is what I've been waiting for. To punish someone forever. That would be fun. Um, some people might think God is like that. But when you look at his truth, what did he say he made us for? Loving relationships forever. And to punish us forever is not what he wanted. It's not his intention. Would it be just? Yes. Would it be right? If we've broken his eternal laws? Yes. Uh, but it, would it be what he wants? No, that is not what God wants. We've got to catch that. Um, and so he didn't leave us stranded. God came into this broken world in the person of Jesus. God came into this world to rescue us. He had a rescue plan from the beginning that, that he foretold. He knew that we would make these sinful choices, and, and yet he had a plan in place. That plan, that rescue plan is called the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel we're remembering here at Easter. And he came into this world and he experienced this brokenness. You know, sometimes I think God could have said, Hey, look, I gave you this world. It started off really good. You had everything you needed for loving relationship. Now you broke it. Too bad. Tough luck. Deal with it. Uh, I'm going to stay here in heaven where there is no sin and no one doing like you just did to them. And um, he could have done that. But he decided to come into this broken world to experience the brokenness. I think of what it says about Jesus here in Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This was spoken more than 500 years before Jesus entered the scene. And yet it was foretold that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It was a part of the rescue plan. He would take our punishment on him and give us his peace. And... You know, it goes on here. God came into this world in the person of Jesus. And Jesus paid the punishment for our sins in order to restore our relationship with God. The relationship He's wanted from the beginning. The relationship He wants forever. And Jesus came and He paid that for us. Um, The next thing we're going to look at here, this next point is, is, you know, um, sometimes, uh, I don't know about you, have you ever wondered between what's the most important event of Easter? Was it the Good Friday when Jesus was punished, beaten, crucified for our sins? Was that a most important event of the Christian faith? Or was it Saturday? It's hard to argue Saturday was as comparable as the other two days. But Sunday, was it Easter Sunday? Now, some would argue Saturday was a bigger deal. I'm not going to make that argument this morning. Or was it Sunday, the resurrection? He rose from the grave and told people, you know, go, go tell everyone. Which one was the more important event? Anyone? Sunday. How, how many in favor of Sunday? Raise your hand. How many in favor of Friday? Raise your hand. 
How many in favor of both? Raise your hands. Ah, okay. It's not only philosophy teachers that have trick questions, right? Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's really it's really both. Um, in some ways, what happened on that Sunday in the resurrection? Here's the verse again: Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Um, but what happened on that resurrection Sunday? Jesus overcame sin and death through his resurrection. This passage in Corinthians chapter 15 is the classic passage on the resurrection. And, and it says this in there, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures in this case means the Old Testament prophecies. Because the New Testament had not been written yet or recorded yet. And so, um, or it was in the process of being recorded. But they were referring to the scriptures that, hey, he was going to die for our sins. Just like Isaiah said. Goes on to say, he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, the resurrection was foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament. And um, but in some ways, um, what else do we have? This the resurrection in some ways proved that what happened on Good Friday is that our sins were really paid for. You know, because he could have just said, "Hey, look, uh, I'm paid for your sins. I'm going to die." His death would not have been much different than that of a martyr or someone living for a good cause. He had it was backed with the, the credibility of a, a miraculous life. But some could have said, well, he died just like everybody else. He's in his grave just like everybody else. And so who knows what happens in the afterlife. But he didn't stop there. He gave us proof that, that what he actually did was pay for our sins on, on that Good Friday on, during his crucifixion. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, this verse here, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I've been thinking about this Easter season, something that I've been chewing on that I haven't maybe caught quite as much before, but the idea that, um, you know, Jesus, we know the Trinity. You know, the Trinity, there's one God, the God of the Bible, there's one God. And yet the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. Kind of like the concept of, of water. Water can exist in a gaseous state. It's steam and it's still water, right? It can be solid and frozen and it's still water, right? And it can be liquid and it's still water. Same is true of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, unique persons, but all one God. Um, but one of the things that I've always wondered about was like, okay, Jesus died. He made a choice to offer his life as a substitute for you and I. And then he waited. He's like, you know, he's got to wait three days here. Okay, three days is up. Oof. You know, rise from the dead. There he is again, you know. Flexes his power, his muscles. And I go, that makes sense. It fits the Trinity. He could have done that. But what I see and have noticed this time around more than I have noticed before is that who does it say... How, how did it say he, he was resurrected? It says, often it says he was raised. I did a, just a quick word study on, he, on God raised. Over 20 times just on that phrase alone, God raised, referring to Jesus, God raised him from the dead. Over 20 times in the New Testament. That's not looking at things like he raised. You know, it's kind of the idea that Jesus laid down his life. He didn't have to die. Being fully man, he could experience death. Being fully God, he could take on the sins of the world. But he didn't have to lay down his life. And he didn't have to keep it laid down. But God raised him up. God raised him up. And there's something to catch there. And I think... uh, I think William MacDonald put it well here in in his commentary on this passage. He said... um, Let's see, apart from the resurrection of Christ, there would be no salvation. If the Lord Jesus did not rise from the dead, there would be no way of knowing that his death had been of any greater value than any other person's. But in raising him from the dead, God testified to the fact that he was completely satisfied with the redemptive work of Christ. 
And God raising Jesus from the dead was a way of Him saying, I accept your substitution for anyone who would believe. I accept your substitution for the sin of man. And that brings an approval there that shows He had the authority to not only to be a substitute for us, but to offer. He was authorized to give us forgiveness to anyone who would look to Him. It's the essence of the good news. He took our sins upon Him. And if we look to Him in faith, He can give us forgiveness and eternal life. And this, this showed His authority to do that. It also showed His authority over death. That He laid down His life to death, but He had the power to overcome death. And therefore, He can help you and I. If He wants loving relationship with us forever, one of the greatest barriers to that is death. We will die because of our sin. And yet, Jesus showed there was a way to overcome that. Now, sometimes people can say, well, that's, that's kind of, Jesus was kind of exclusive, wasn't He? You know, Christianity is so exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. I guess you could say that's kind of exclusive. Um, but Jesus could say that because He had the authority to say that. He, he proved that He was God the Son and that He could take on our sin and that He could pass on forgiveness to us and that He could overcome death. And He was authorized to do all of that. And, and so, yeah, I guess He was kind of exclusive. But the cool thing is that though His claims are unique and exclusive, no one else like Him. You know, the thing that I think is cool, there's no one else in the history of man for whom they say, He is risen, and He is risen indeed. There's no one else they say that for. Can we practice that one more time? He is risen. They don't say that for Nietzsche. They don't say that for Muhammad. They don't say that for the Buddha. They don't say that for anyone else with any sort of credibility or authority. There is only one for whom that is said, and that is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when the, the apostles caught this and they go, you know, you, you read um, the Apostle Paul and he says, Here, you guys got to catch this. You know, I've, I used to think forgiveness. He died on the cross. Good Friday is the best part of all of Easter. And that's good. But I started reading the Scripture a little more. And Paul says, hey, by the way, if the resurrection didn't happen, you can call off whatever happened on Good Friday because who knows if he forgave sin or not? Who knows if he can even do that? But because of the resurrection, he goes, he did pay for sin. And our faith is is not meaningless. It's not useless. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing out there that has gotten a different result when it came to death. Nobody else has done anything like it. And and yeah, there's going to be some exclusive claims to that. The disciples went on to say a message like this. Peter's preaching the the good news early on there, and he says, um, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no one else who can do this. No one else has any authorization, any approval by God to do this except for Jesus Christ. And yet the cool thing is that He's made this available to everyone. Did you know that people from any sort of religious background, any sort of culture, any sort of lifestyle background can look to Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I think it's some cool verses like this. Um, Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Another place, Acts 10.43 says, All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin. Who does that leave out? Who does not have the chance to get saved and get forgiveness? There is no one that that excludes. This is the most inclusive message that I think is on the planet when it comes to faith and life and death and the afterlife and and. And we live in a time where people would say, oh, you're so exclusive, you're so uh, intolerant to other things. Well, 
You know, there is only one way that it's actually going to work. There's only one way that has any sort of credibility, and it's through Jesus Christ. And you might call that exclusive. Again, they've got to know it's made available to everyone, regardless of your background. Uh, I love a description in heaven. You know, Jeremy read about from a scene going on in heaven there. There's another place where it says that there will be people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be represented in heaven. You don't get more inclusive than that, but it all comes down to if you believe. And like uh, John 3.16, we'll look at here, says, um, uh, God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The King James says, Whosoever believes. If you're one of the whosoevers who believe in Him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. But you've got to be one who believes. It's made available to everyone. But only those to look, who look to Jesus with eyes of faith will be saved. And so, anyways... Um, Yes, we'll move on to this last point here. Um, so the last truth we're going to look at here is Jesus is coming back soon. You know, um, this whole arrangement is made available to everyone through faith. And, and He rose. Forty days later, He ascended to heaven and He said, Hey, by the way, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to seal the deal to make our, this relationship permanent. And for those who look to Him as their Lord and Savior, they will be with God forever in heaven, eternal life. And, uh, and for those who have not looked to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they, they will be separated, they will be stuck, sentenced to eternal punishment. And Jesus makes it very clear. Sometimes people don't like this idea in the modern day Christian culture, but Jesus Himself said this. I think at the end of Matthew 25, He talks about some will go to eternal life and some will go to eternal punishment. And... And it's a real deal. He has the authority to, to say something like that. He's the only one with credibility about the afterlife. He's the one that will be the judge. You know, if it's true that He died for the sins of the world, those who look to Him will, will have forgiveness from Him. But those who've rejected Him, imagine having to face the one who died for your sins and you would have to face Him saying, I didn't need you to do that for me. Would it not be the right thing for Him to punish them forever? That will be righteous. And he offers his love all, all the way up until the point when he returns. Because it says, uh, you know, it says this, this arrangement is by faith. You've been saved through grace by faith. Anyone who believes in him. You know, when he appears and he shows up in his glory, there's going to be no more opportunity to receive him through faith. Because it's going to be real. This verse here says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. He says, I am coming soon. You know, I think that has to be an eternal truth because it's said over and over again that I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, it's going to be quickly. In this last chapter of Revelation alone, he says it three times, I'm coming soon. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at time and I go, well, that was, you know, over 1,980 years ago. Um, What's soon about that? The soon part is that in light of eternity, a thousand years, two thousand years is nothing. He's coming soon. And when He comes, it's going to be a done deal. And the chance to turn to Him and look to Him as your Savior will be over. And, and that's not what He wants, but yet you have a volitional nature. You can make the choice of whether you look to Him or not as your Lord and Savior. Two options. He will return to give eternal life to those who believe in Him as their Lord and Savior. Or He will return to bring eternal punishment to those who are found guilty of sin, to those who have not turned to Him for forgiveness. There's only one of two camps. Got to ask you a question on this Easter morning. Which camp are you in? 
Have you looked to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If He came back today, would He find you as one who is trusting and waiting for His return to take you to heaven, to be with Him in loving relationship forever? Or would He return today and go, I never got around to that. I resisted all the times I felt like you wanted me to do that. I resisted all those times I felt like I was guilty of sin. Not just by my own perspective, but even a higher, a higher standard. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. And if you find yourself in that second camp, if you find yourself in the first camp, there's reason for great joy. There's reason for uh, purpose in life. There's reason to get this good news out to other people. There's reason to reflect on these truths because uh, they will give you life and life to the fullest. But if you find yourself in the second camp, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I want to share with you what Jesus said in one of His first messages about this good news. He said, the kingdom of God is near. He said that about 2,000 years ago. Um, And He went on to say, repent, turn from your sins and believe the good news. You know, if you want to get right with God, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want eternal life, all you have to do is turn from sins or, or your selfishness, your way of life, and turn to your Savior and believe this good news about Him. And He offers it as a free gift through believing. Again, we return to this verse, the most well-known verse in all the Bible, and there's a reason for it, because it is one of the greatest gospel promises there is. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him. Are you one one of those whoever's who believes in Him. My hope is that you are or that you would become one. Um, in the context of, of this verse, it's preceded by a couple of verses that quote from the Old Testament, but this believes in Him, it really you could translate the meaning of that one who looks to Him, one who looks to Jesus as your Savior from your sins, as the Lord to lead you into a new life. Have you looked to Jesus as your Savior from all your sins? Because that's what it means to believe in Him. To believe is to look to or to place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, these, these truths, these five truths, I think they're, they're not the comprehensive, they're not the only parts of the good news, the only promises of the good news of Easter, but they are fundamental truths, eternal truths. God created this world perfectly, created you for loving relationship with Him. Sin has broken this world in our relationship with Him and your sin has earned His punishment. And Jesus came into this broken world, experienced the suffering, and took your sin upon His cross. And He rose from the dead to prove that He could do that. And He offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift to anyone who would look to Him and believe in Him. And He's coming back soon to make our relationship with Him permanent, whatever state it might be in. My hope is that every one of you would understand the gravity of this situation that you would find yourself one who has looked to Jesus as your Lord and Savior one who has His power available to you to live a full life I love this quote I read this week on, on uh, Jesus and being alive it says a dead Christ I must do everything for a living Christ does everything for me you know, Jesus is not on the cross anymore and He's not in the grave anymore He is risen and through our relationship with Him He has everything that we need for life for a full life for a new life for eternal life and my hope is that you catch that that if, if you're not here this morning celebrating these truths that, that you would think that today maybe is the day for that 
the day that you look to Jesus as your Savior. We're going to go ahead and pray to close things off here. Just, um, and some of you might be here. I know there's some of you that are wrestling with this question. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you looked to Him once and for all as your Savior from all your sins? You know, the good news about it is if you've looked to Him as your Savior, you don't have to do that over and over again. You don't have to live a life of repentance and doing all these things. If you look to Him as your Savior, that means He he was punished for all your sins on that cross. And when we process sin now, it can be in a way of telling Him, thank you for dying for my sin. And help me to overcome in this area. And uh, if you're wrestling with that, or maybe you're not sure you've ever done that, um, this morning I would just like to, to talk you through how you can, if you believe these things, you can just express those to God and get on your way with a new life, with a full life, with eternal life, with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so, you know, there's a prayer here that, uh, if you're interested, we're going to just all bow our heads here in a moment. But this prayer just basically has a sentence related to each one of these truths that we talked about. Telling God, thank you for creating me for a loving relationship with you. And I admit I've sinned against you and have earned your eternal punishment. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. And I place my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for your glory. Um, let's go ahead and bow our heads here and close, close your eyes if you would. But if this is something that, that you want to do this morning, that you haven't done and you want to get right with God and express what you believe to Him, um, I encourage you to, to maybe look up and look at this prayer. Um, and if it's really what you want to do, express your faith to Him this morning. Place your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior so that when He returns, you'll be one of those who will be in His presence forever with eternal life. But if this is something you want to do, I just encourage you to, uh, to say this along with me. You know, it says, Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. To confess really means to say along with, to agree with. And so you can repeat after me if, if this is your heart, if this is what you want to do. Dear God, thank you for creating me for a loving relationship with you. I admit that I have sinned against you and have earned your eternal punishment. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. I place my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Please help me to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you did pray that, if you placed your trust in Christ for the first time, I encourage you to tell someone here this morning. And if you've done that in the past, but you've never been baptized, next week we're baptizing any of those who are believers in Jesus Christ and they they want to go public and tell that to others. I know a number of you have already signed up for that. And we'll just close with our traditional firehouse greeting for Easter. He is risen. Amen. You guys have a great day. Thanks for joining us this morning.